Hey there streamers, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm gonna make this quick. My media studies professor gave me an assignment to work on a documentary with my friend Scott, and we've kinda wandered into that weird plot with human trafficking, and we're currently lost in this abandoned military barracks where everything has led us. And I don't know where Scott's wandered off to, so I'm gonna try to figure out where he has ended up, and I don't really know where he is in this place. So, sit back, enjoy the new episode. This is the bloodstream. board streamers you found the third episode of the bloodstream you know before i get started i'm gonna talk a little more which i keep saying i'm not gonna do but here i am doing it again third week in a row one of the things i'm really liking about the bloodstream with trisk i'm usually doing older movies like from the 80s and 90s which is back when horror was really big and inventive and cheesy and bad in all the right ways but bloodstream is kind of letting me branch out and i'm i'm doing more modern stuff and that's kind of fun and interesting and it's not something I get to do too often except for the really good, legitimately good, modern horror movies. Which I do still talk about on occasion on my site. But this is kind of mixing those two things together with the old and, and the new. And just getting a chance to explore some of these movies that may be good, maybe not be, is a, turning out to be a lot of fun. Oh, my voice is not good today. Anyways, I'm not going to ramble too long, I just wanted to babble about that for a second. And I'm going to dive right in and play for you the trailer to this week's movie, Media Studies.
So the trailer for this is really interesting. And as I'm watching out as I was watching the movie, it kind of occurred to me, not a single frame of footage in that trailer is in the actual movie. I legitimately do not think I have ever encountered that before. Outside of rare circumstances where they don't really show any footage of anything. The footage is part of the world that the movie lives in, because the two girls in the trailer are kind of in the movie. One of them definitely is, has a, a small role. The other one is barely. She has a few photographs and a couple scenes where she's seen later on, largely just her head. So it's almost like a prequel to the movie in a way. Although in some ways that still doesn't make sense because of some of the dialogue doesn't really match up with what we see in the movie. Anyways, Media Studies is actually about a trio of kids that are in a Media Studies class and their teacher assigns them a uh, project to do a documentary and they start looking into bullying as a topic. It opens up with one of my least favorite things, chunks of text describing characters. In this instance, it's student evaluations by the professor. And I guess it's okay shorthand to get to know the characters, their names and stuff, but it's almost a little worse than lining up the characters in a, a literal lineup and having someone give their names to a person they're standing next to. Most notably when one of the kids is praised for being bright and happy and positive, you just know it's not going to end well for that particular person. Anyways, as I was saying, they're given the assignment to do a documentary, but on top of that, the teacher tells them to document the documentary, basically doing a behind-the-scenes featurette for their own film, which is basically the movie's roundabout way to justify everyone running around with cameras all the time. It's a fair enough justification, and I've certainly seen worse. If you're gonna do found footage, that's a good way to go with it. The only downside of this being found footage, it is one of the absolutely shaky found footage movies I've ever seen. Rivaling even the original Blair Witch, you can tell the people handling these cameras are not pros in any way. Which, on the one hand, does lend to the verisimilitude of the filming. I don't get nauseous during movies, although this one came really close. On the subject of the three main characters, they are some of the most properly teen characters I've ever seen. They've got that lively back and forth amongst them and telling each other off. They have a really playful dynamic that really works and feels very natural that a lot of movies can't pull off. And that's going to bring us up to the first clip where they have a bit of a conversation with the teacher about what to do. Whoa, nice trainers, sir. Is that a problem, Raz? No, four stripes is fine, really. Good. Right. So come on then, what did you want to see me about? What, uh, what brand are they, sir? Raz, they're just trainers. Yeah, I'm sure they are, in a way. Sir, we were just wondering if we could see the school records for bullying. What records? Well, there must be something written down somewhere about who's been bullied and that. Yeah, it probably is, but you can't see it. I mean, what's this all about, guys? Well, we're doing our documentary on cyberbullying, so we just wanted to see some details about whether it happens in college. I only wanted to make a documentary about porn, but I thought it was degrading to women. For fuck's sake, Russ, that joke is getting way old now. Charlie, language. Enough, Mr. Scott. It's just some snidely little dig anyway. What? You're always going out watching porn just because I'm not one of those slags that'll sleep with you at the drop of a fucking hat. Charlie, enough. Way too much information. Look, guys, I'm sorry, I don't think I can help you with this. Why don't you do some research on Rosie Clark? Girl ran away a couple of weeks ago. Apparently she was being cyberbullied. It was all over the papers. 
Well, your sister reported on it, right, Jess, for the Gazette? Yeah. Maybe she can help. That's a really great idea, sir. Well, go on, then. Off you go. So yeah, they pick as a topic bullying and cyberbullying. They look into the disappearance of one of their fellow students, who none of them really knew, who was cyberbullied and went missing. They ask around, talk to one of her friends who doesn't know anything. Hell, we're going nowhere fast. At this point, the plot's kind of taking it time to get anywhere. Like, you know, we just dead-ended with the friend with their really only lead. But I was actually kind of just having fun with these characters really ended up liking them for some reason. They're, they were interesting characters, and while the movie may be slow, watching them kept me entertained until things actually started happening. Now, if you don't connect with these characters, it's gonna be probably going to be really slow going, and I don't blame some people for checking out. A lot of this movie is going to depend on how well you give a crap about these three kids. And you can say that about a lot of movies, but it feels really particularly more so in this instance. But eventually, the movie and the characters stop cooling their heels and end up getting a text that is supposedly from the missing girl, or possibly from whoever took her if someone did take her. If you want to figure the kidnapper is setting up a trap, something like that. They get a text and they look into investigating that, but they do the smart thing first and call the cops. Cops come over, kind of don't believe them as, you know, they're getting a lot of prank calls of this nature. And that's going to be the next clip. Hi, we got a call from this address. Is everything okay? Yeah. Do you know, you know that missing girl? Which one? Rosie Clark? Yes, that's an ongoing case. Is there something you know about it? Um, I got a message today and it says, help me. And the address? It's a prankster. We know who it is. He sends texts to the parents and friends of missing kids. Seriously? He's sick. Listen, I'll take down the number and look into it back at the station. I will need to take your details as well, if that's okay. Where do you think she is? Who, Rosie? We don't know. Do you want to come in then? Thanks. Sorry. Since it doesn't look like the cops are going to do much of anything, the kids decide to head off and investigate on their own. As one does, I would probably do the same. They get an address, look it up, go hunting for wherever it leads them, and eventually it leads to the missing girl Rosie's house. Oh, oh, there was also a great Blair Witch bit of mocking because this movie sure does know its roots, so it pokes fun at the original Blair Witch, and since I love poking fun at the Blair Witch, I'm gonna sneak in a clip of that. In the middle of fucking nowhere. Mm -hmm. Raz, you sure this is right? Look, I typed the postcode into maps and this is where it's sending us, so go that way. Fucking hate forests. How can you hate forests? Dunno. Blair Witch probably. <laughs> it's my project. It's ruined. It was Charlie's fault. Oh Raz, shut the fuck, fuck up. up. <laughs> fucking idiot. It ends up leading to the missing girl Rosie's house and her father in the driveway. He is oh so very thrilled to see these kids asking about his missing girl and digging up all those open wounds of where she could be. They talk to him for a bit, he's distraught as one would be, and he says, fine, go up into her room and dig around her stuff and see what you can find. So at least they're getting somewhere and actually doing some decent de detective work, which you would expect the actual 
detectives to have done by this point. You would think if they were looking for a laptop or something, the cops would have already found stuff like that and taken it away as evidence, but eh, we'll just kind of move along that, that plot hole. While poking around Rosie's room, they discover some photographs of the guy who is apparently her boyfriend and Jon Snow wannabe, Seth. And in a bit of logic that only a smartass college kid would think of, they go, hey, let's ask Seth outright if he kidnapped Rosie, which pretty much gets this reaction from Seth. You can knock, this is fucked up. Don't worry about it, be fine. Seth? Uh, Seth Bridger? What? Uh, hi, Mr. Bridger. Uh, I'm Raz Scott. This is Charlie Miller, and we're making a documentary for media studies. Yeah, great. What do you want? Uh, well, we were talking to Rosie Clark's sister, and she said that you had a relationship with Rosie, you know, the girl who ran away. Yeah? Yeah. No, I don't know where she is. What? You're going to ask me if I know where she is, and I don't. Well, maybe... Wait, did you take her? Fuck. Off. Ugh. Take her where? Is she here? No. Look, the police have already interviewed me, and they found nothing. What the fuck are you staring at, you freak? Thought you'd be prettier. What the fuck does he mean? What the, what the fuck does oh, yeah, he mean? Yeah, hey, Charlie, Charlie. Fucking asshole. Oh, that went well. Well, that went about exactly as well as I figured it would. At this point, we find out that their investigation into Rosie's disappearance has taken so, so very long that another girl has gone missing, which is fortunate for their Stonewalled investigation because it gives them someone else to look into and ask around about, with pretty much the same amount of tact. And at this point, I want to point out that the two girls that have gone missing, Rosie and Clara, those are the two girls that are in the trailer. So that's kind of where that all ties together. At least this time they're not waiting around to get a leading text that sends them off to Rosie's house. They know right where Clara lived, so head over there and talk to her mom. Clara's mom mentions that she once caught her daughter out doing some drugs at this old abandoned army barracks where she used to hang out all the time. And once again, in their true smart-ass college kid fashion, the trio of kids head out and decide to check out the barracks. Because, sure, let's go check out the abandoned place where people have apparently been going missing. That sounds like a great idea. So they drive off up into the distant woods where the barracks is located and they start wandering around in the dark, in the woods, in the middle of the night. So pretty much all the perfect things for a horror movie. And eventually they hear some screaming, which tells them where to go. Yes, they're going to run toward the screaming because once again, that's the thing you're gonna do, right? I love that at this point they're essentially lost. So what do they do? They hear screaming to figure out where to go only in a horror movie. But on the upside, we've found the army barracks and they eventually get inside, so the plot's moving along at a decent pace now. Unfortunately, the plot had to drag at this point because they have to go wandering around the abandoned army barracks, which takes forever. 
ever. On the one hand, there's a lot of creepy atmosphere and you never know when they turn a, a certain corner or look in a room what they might run into. Unfortunately, what they run into is absolutely nothing for a very long time. It's one of those things where they're trying to build tension and they just go that tiny bit too long with it and you start getting bored. Finally, they find someone, but it's some drug addict that Clara probably hung out with, but he's way too out of it to have been involved with the kidnapping. I mean, this guy just kind of stares off blankly behind them. But at some point, that staring gets their attention, and Raz turns the camera around, and there's just this guy in a creepy mask, just kind of chilling, hanging out, leaning up against stuff on, in, on the wall behind him. On the one hand, this could and should have been a really creepy moment where there's just suddenly this guy that's standing behind them, and probably been standing there since the crackhead started staring behind them. But it's completely blown out of the water when he's just kind of chilling and leaning. It's like if you turned the camera around, saw Michael Myers, and he's just kinda taking a shoulder up against the doorframe instead of filling it up and posing with his whole body. But hey, at least someone there, it's the person they're looking for, and we get a chase, and I have no idea what happens at this point in the movie. I, I, I completely lose track of what's going on. At one point, everything is just kinda flashing around. They run, they come face to face with the black mask wannabe. He points at Charlie and all of a sudden it's like they're in a rave from the start of the original Blade movie. Lights are flashing, there's music going. It lasts all of five seconds but it's just this sensory overload of stuff being thrown at you and all of a sudden there's this bloody guy on the ground and I just have no idea what happened. I'm gonna guess they just got hella lucky and pushed past the guy in the black mask. Actually managed to find their way out of the maze of tunnels and back to Raz's car. Wisely, they again go to the police. But once again, Again, they don't really believe the kids because there's no proof and what are you gonna do when kids come rushing in and say we just ran into the creepy guy in an abandoned drug den it's gonna be a little questionable we don't really go into the police station since obviously they would have shut the cameras off at that point which that just occurred to me and it makes a whole lot of sense and i like that so we hear about the aftermath in the car and the cops seem like they're gonna go check it out but they're not in any hurry either as i keep saying once again Raz in all his know-it-all smart-ass college kid ways actually manages to convince Charlie to go confront Seth about the kidnappings. Because why not? What the worst that could happen? They're pretty sure Seth is involved because of a few things he said to Charlie, his involvement with Rosie, his apparent involvement with Clara. So hey, let's go break into his house. And once they're inside, they find a wall of crazy. He's got pictures of all sorts of girls hanging up there, including the two missing ones and a photo of Charlie, which Raz grabs and stuffs in his pocket to hide. There is clearly a plan going on here, at least insofar as picking the girls. They are clearly being targeted, which is obvious because they have the photo of Charlie, things Seth said pointing her out, which was dumb on his part, but I digress. So they call the cops, let them know about the wall of crazy, and sit in the car. And while we wait for the cops to show up, here's our next clip. That's weird. It's Jess. It's a video message. You can save me, Charlie. Please save me, Charlie. Call my sister! What the fuck, Eventually, Raz and Charlie get rapidly waiting for the cops and head back to the barracks. Because why not? 
which is kind of the saying for this movie. They find Jess eventually and the guy in the black mask, who this time has a gun. And at this point, we learn a very important lesson. If nothing else, take away from media studies this one very important thing. Do not taunt the man in a mask who has a gun. If you say out loud to the guy with a gun that's kidnapping people, what are you gonna do? Shoot me? The odds are, yeah. Yeah, he is gonna shoot you. And of course, in all the added gunshot-induced confusion, the guy in the mask actually grabs Charlie. And since Raz has been left behind due to the kidnapper having zero interest in him whatsoever, we'll find out why shortly, he goes stumbling around to find the way out, find the weapon, find his friends, maybe even find the cops if he's lucky, but he finds none of that. Instead, what he does find is a creepy room filled with nothing but discarded clothes covered in blood, which is probably the absolute last thing you want to run into in this sort of situation. While Raz is fumbling about, we cut over to Jess, who is with Clara, and she does a, I hate to call it an interview in this sort of situation, but she asks a few questions. She provides a major bit of information, and that will be our final clip. I'm Jess Duns, and this is Clara Jenkins. What happens here? Why does he want Charlie? needs virgins. Is she a virgin? A girl? Yeah. I think so. Why? He wants them fresh. Untouched. Why are you still here? I was a mistake. What do you mean, mistake? I'm not a virgin. I'm pregnant. And apparently, that would be wrong. And did Seth Bridger bring you here? So there you have it, it's apparently all about virgin sacrifices. There's a bit more on that to come, but we'll get there when we get there. It's a pretty good excuse for what's going on and why they're grabbing who they're grabbing, and it also explains why Claire is still alive, plus it also has someone to be left behind to be Little Miss Infodump. But now that we've gotten some information and know what's going on, it's back over to Raz who is still running around like a blind mouse. Now I talked earlier about how the cinematography was a little nauseous making, but it felt kind of right because it felt amateurish. There's more of that here, and it's not quite as nausea-inducing as before, but basically what's happening is Raz is running around, and he's still got the camera for, you know, your typical found footage reasons. We can go along with that. We've learned to suck it up and go with found footage being found footage. He mentions earlier that they're still recording so they have evidence for the cops, which I think even at this point the normal person would have set the camera down, but it's good enough for this. It's found footage. Moving on. Anyways, Raz is running around and he's filming all the wrong stuff. He'll pause with the camera and it'll focus wrong. He'll get something in the foreground when he's trying to see the background. He'll be filming the walls as he's running, which all of this is so amateurish, so wrong, and it just, it looks like it's kids running through a place trying to film something. It doesn't have that polished look that 
a lot of found footage movies end up with because you do have someone who is a pro at cinematography behind the camera doing the actual work instead of your actors. It blurs back and forth both ways, but in this one, it, I don't know for certain if it was the actors playing Raz and Friends filming the stuff, but whoever it was, it actually looks like amateur kids in college doing their thing. It might be the most natural found footage, uh, footage I've ever seen. And again, it really helps that feel of this is something that really happened. While yeah, you're getting shots of walls and out of focus crap, I really like how it's pulled off because it gives it that feel of reality. And there's the bonus that since this is filmed in an abandoned military barracks, a lot of the corridors are really small and really cramped, so it, it has that claustrophobic feel that really ratchets up the tension just by existing. Fortunately, the plot eventually does have to come to a close and Raz does find Charlie. And it's not precisely virgin sacrifices he's coming across. When he finds Charlie, he sees standing over her the masked figure, still with the mask mostly on, eating Charlie. Oh no, no, no people, never! I don't mean in any kind of sexual way. He is literally digging in and chowing down. So when Clara says that he likes them fresh, she doesn't mean just, you know, for virgin sacrifices. He means fresh meat for eating. This is virgin cannibalism. It's just different enough to set this movie apart. And this is more or less where the movie ends, since Raz does a lot more yelling and screaming trying to get out of there because he's freaking the fuck out, which I can't blame him for, but that does kind of draw the attention of the killer, who eventually shows up, carrying the head of Jess, who they cut off at some point off camera, and the killer finishes off Raz by shooting him with the gun. And before the movie ends, once again, I'm getting into heavy spoilers here, which is funny considering this is literally like the last shot of the movie as a gigantic spoiler. If you want to go into the fresh, now's your chance to check out, I'm gonna dive right in. Before the movie ends, there is literally one last shot from Raz's camera where it's, you know, sitting on the ground all Blair Witch style, and the killer steps in and you see just the one single beautiful shot of his shoe, and just the shot of the killer's shoe ties the entire plot together in just a wonderful way. Sadly, it's a little obvious and a little bit telegraphed by some bits of dialogue at the very start of the movie. In fact, the very first clip had some of that dialogue in it, and I left it in there deliberately because I wanted that to be highlighted because it really stands out. Fortunately, it's so far back in the movie that some people will have forgotten about it by now. I remembered my idea of that it was signaling that Yes, it's the professor who's really behind everything, but I've forgotten the specific dialogue, so when literally the shoe drops, a great visual pun there, you see the shoe that they establish the professor having, and you just have that light go off in your head. Even if you figured it out, you get that eureka moment of confirmation where it's like, professor set them on the path of Clara, he's taking his students that he's been talking to, knows the girls that are virgins, because he's kind of a... a authority figure, confidant that they come to and talk to. There's a scene that he has with Charlie that I didn't share earlier, just because it's behind closed doors, but you know what's going on. He has Seth doing the work and getting to know the girls to lure them off eventually. I wish it wasn't so telegraphed because when you see that shoe coming at just like I said, that wonderful moment of, oh, it all makes sense in just one single second of footage. And I love that. And that's pretty much the movie. The movie is slow at times. If you like the characters, you can get into it. And there's there's really some massive holes in the plot and logic of it all. I mentioned a uh, few of them along the way. It's another one of those movies where I have a love-hate relationship. The acting's kind of eh, except that I like the chemistry between the, th the three maids. It, it feels real. 
that's the selling point of this movie. A lot of it feels real. The chemistry between the three leads, the way it's shot feels real. Even though it's, you know, shot badly, that feels right for the thing. And I mean, if you can get past some slower moments, if you can get past that there are massive flaws in logic, the payoff is just about worth the journey. It's not quite as on par with the end reveal of Saw, which is kind of my go-to of amazing reveals from the 2000s onwards, but it's kind of up there. If there was more to it and not just, you know, a second or two of footage that makes you go, oh, oh, I get it, it would be a bigger deal, but it's still pretty good. At 75 minutes or so, it doesn't overstay its welcome. I definitely say, like, if you're a fan of found footage, it's worth a look. It's not great, it's not gonna change the world. It does just enough things right, and just enough things different in its own way, that yeah, it's, it's worth a look. And I guess that's gonna just about wrap things up. Before I go, I want to give the usual reminders that you can find us on Facebook, search for The Bloodstream. You should be able to find us by the logo. You can find us and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating and review there if you want. I post on Tumblr occasionally, teasing about what's coming later at uh, thebloodstream.tumblr.com. You can find the rest of my work at triskedecafiles.com. If you've got suggestions to make the show better or movies you'd like me to take a look at, you can drop me a line at the Facebook group, or you can send me a message directly at phoenix at gmail.com. That's F-O-E-N-I-X. And that's the third episode of The Bloodstream. Take care and keep streaming.
Don't worry. It'll only hurt. A lot. <laughs>